0: in the midst of a series focused on the theme of spiritual growth. There is meant to be a forward movement, a trajectory to the Christian life, which means that you'll never become the person that you were always meant to be until you learn how to grow spiritually. And the other reason why this is so important is because there's many people who simply don't know where they stand spiritually. And it's only as you look at what the Bible has to say about how to grow that you realize you may not be a Christian at all, because you have not yet taken the first step. So we began this series by considering the stages of growth. There are developmental stages that we go through as a Christian. It doesn't happen all at once, but it is the result of a gradual and organic process. And it's helpful to know where you are in that process so that you keep growing. And then we turned from the stages of growth to the engine of growth. I suggested that repentance and faith is the engine, the combustion cycle, that drives the Christian life. It's not as if you repent and believe once in order to begin the Christian life and then never again. No, all of life is repentance. This ongoing cycle of repentance and faith is what propels your growth in grace. And now today I'd like us to turn to the key to growth. What's the essential key? What's the single most important thing you need to know and understand and appreciate in order to grow spiritually? Well, the answer may surprise you. The answer may be a doctrine that you've never heard of before, or if you have, it is at least the one that you are most likely to take for granted. So what I'd like us to talk about today is what theologians refer to as union with Christ. Now this is simple in expression, union with Christ, and yet it is profound in its implications. The problem with union with Christ is while it's easy to say, it's hard to imagine. And so I'm going to try to use as many examples and illustrations and analogies as I can to help it become more concrete for us. So we'll begin by looking at Colossians chapter 3. And as we do, I'd like us to consider three questions What is union with Christ? How does it work? And why does it matter? So let me invite you to open up a Bible to Colossians chapter 3. You'll find the passage printed on page 984 in the Pew Bible. It's also printed in your order of worship. I'll be reading verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is God's word. It's trustworthy, and it's true, and it's given to us in love. Will you pray with me? Father, we acknowledge that apart from you, these words will remain nothing more than letters on a page. Apart from you, your Bible will remain a closed book, And so we pray that the same spirit that once inspired these words will now illuminate them for us so that your word might catch fire and burn within our hearts, leading us to a real encounter with Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. Well, first off, what is union with Christ? I've said that to be a Christian means that you undergo a transfer of trust You transfer your trust from yourself to Jesus for your standing, for your acceptability before God. And to put it simply then, union with Christ means that faith so unites you to Jesus that everything that is true of him becomes true of you. Everything that is true of Jesus becomes true of you. Now, this is the key to the Christian life. This is the fountain. This is the spring out of which every other blessing flows. You don't have anything else in the Christian life without union with Christ. There's no forgiveness for sin, no reconciliation, no transformation, no change, no growth, no purpose or mission in the Christian life without this union. So what is this? What is this union with Christ? 500 years ago, Martin Luther wrote an essay called The Freedom of a Christian, which I remember first reading when I was a senior in college. Now, of course, there are some terrible things that Martin Luther did, especially later in his life, but Regardless, this essay is a classic and it literally changed the world. And in Freedom of a Christian, Martin Luther offers this analogy. He says that union with Christ is like the relationship between a bride and a groom. When a couple gets married, they share everything in common. Whatever belongs to the one belongs to the other. So let's imagine that you don't have any money, you don't have a job, you've got huge student loans and massive amounts of credit card debt. Now, this might be striking a little too close to home, but just bear with me for a minute. So no money, no job, huge student loans that you could never pay off and massive amounts of credit card debt. But then you fall in love with someone who is fabulously wealthy. So wealthy, in fact, that all that debt is just a drop in a bucket. And when you get married, because there's no prenuptial agreement in this, in this analogy, uh, when you get married, all of that debt is instantly swallowed up. It's gone. And all those riches are now yours because everything that belongs to your beloved now belongs to you. Now, Luther used that analogy to look to our relationship with Jesus. See, he says that when we're united to Jesus by faith, then everything that belongs to him now belongs to you. He takes what is yours and gives you what is his. Now, in this analogy, he says that Jesus is the rich, faithful husband, and he rather colorfully describes us as the poor, unfaithful bride. He says, but then, by the wedding ring of faith, Everything that was once yours now becomes his. Everything that was once his becomes yours. So what does Jesus do? He takes your sin, your guilt, your shame, your death, and he offers you his innocence, his righteousness, and his life. And Jesus, being who he is, swallows up that sin and guilt and shame. They're gone. They, they can't touch you or affect you ever again because he swallowed them up forever. So this is the way that Luther puts it. He says, faith unites the soul with Christ as a bride is united with her bridegroom. By this mystery, as the apostle Paul teaches, Christ and the soul become one flesh. And if they are one flesh and there is between them a true marriage, indeed the most perfect of all marriages, since human marriages are but poor examples of this one true marriage, It follows that everything they have, they hold in common, the good as well as the evil. So let us compare these, and we shall see inestimable benefits. Christ is full of grace, life, and salvation. The soul is full of sins, death, and damnation. Now let faith come between them, and sins, death, and damnation will be Christ, while grace, life, and salvation will be the soul's. By the wedding ring of faith— He shares in the sins, death, and pains of hell, which are his brides. As a matter of fact, he makes them his own and acts as if they were were his own. And as if he himself had sinned, he suffered, died, and descended into hell, that he might overcome them all. Thus the believing soul, by means of the pledge of its faith, is free in Christ, its bridegroom, free from all sins, secure against death and hell, and is endowed with the eternal righteousness, life, and salvation of Christ Its bridegroom. So you see that he takes everything that was ours and gives us everything that was his. Jesus not only died the death that you and I should have died on the cross in our place, but he also lived the perfect life that we should have lived. And therefore, if we're united to Jesus by faith, everything that is true of him becomes true of us. So God treats us as if we had already died on the cross for our sins. Our past can never be held against us any longer. And not only that, he treats us as if we had lived the perfect, obedient life that Jesus lived. So God does not relate to you on the basis of who you are or what you've done, but rather by sheer grace, he relates to you on the basis of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And more than that, God loves you with the same love and to the same degree that he loves his one and only son. If you're united to Jesus by faith, that means that you're as united to Jesus as Jesus is to the Father, And that is 100%. Now, the point that I want to make here is that as in all human relationships, you're either married or you're not. You can't be a little bit married. And so it is with our union with Jesus. You're either united to Jesus by faith or you're not. But if you are united to him by faith, if you're a Christian, well, that means that all of this is true for all of us all the time. It doesn't fluctuate or change this is the reality, the core reality that we must live by. And that is why this is the key to the Christian life. Everything else springs and flows from this. And that is precisely what Paul is talking about in Colossians chapter 3. In fact, the whole letter of Colossians is is essentially uh, an exposition on this theme of union with Christ. So at the beginning of this chapter, Paul essentially is saying, look, if if Jesus died on the cross, if he was raised again from the grave, and if he is now seated at the right hand of God in glory, and you're united to him by faith, if everything that's true of him is now true of you, well, then you have died to your old life. You have already been raised to new life in him, past tense, and you are now seated next to him through the Holy Spirit in glory. In other words, Jesus shares his reign and rule with you over this new creation that he's bringing into existence as we pray for his kingdom to come to bear on this earth as it is in heaven. And that becomes especially clear when you look at the details. So in chapter two, the immediately preceding chapter of Colossians, Paul says, you have been buried with him in baptism and you have been raised with him through faith. And then here in this passage today, verses three and four, he says, for you have died You have died, past tense, and your life now is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ appears, who is your life, you will also appear with him in glory. So everything that is true of him becomes true of you. Now, what's kind of amazing here is that Paul had to invent new words to describe this reality. There was no vocabulary to describe what he was talking about. So wherever you see these these expressions crucified with or buried with or raised with. Paul has actually coined a new term. He's taken the word for crucified or buried or raised and then he's smashed it together with the prefix S-Y-N in Greek, sin, which means with, crucified with, buried with, raised with. He, he creates new terms to describe this reality of what it means to be united with Christ. But what I want to impress upon you is that this new reality is not something that we achieve for ourselves. It's something that we receive by faith. Faith is simply empty hands which receives what God gives. We don't add or contribute anything to it. We simply receive it. So this union with Christ and all the benefits that flow from it are a gift to us. It's not something that we work for, but it's something that we have to work out. We don't work for this union with Christ. We don't try really hard to make it true, but we have to work it out We have to work out the implications of this truth because we so often take it for granted. We don't fully understand it or grasp it. We don't live by it. So we have to take this reality deep into our heart and our minds and think through the implications so that we start to live out of this core reality. And that is exactly what Paul is asking us to do in this passage. He says, set your minds on things above. Now, Paul is not saying, you know, stick your head in the clouds and start daydreaming. When he says, set your mind on things above, he's saying, set your mind on this truth. You probably haven't grasped it. You haven't understood it. You're not living out of its reality. And that is why you're so immature. That's why you're not growing spiritually. That's why you're spiritually stunted. Because you're, you're not living out of this truth. So we have to take this truth deep into our heart and life and learn to put it into practice. And that's why union with Christ is the key. Because what is so essential for us to see here is that Paul's not telling us to try to become something that we're not. No, he's saying if you're united to Jesus by faith, this is who you are. So he's not saying become something that you're not. He's saying be, be who you already are by God's grace. So that's what union with Christ is. Let's now turn to the second question, which is, well, how exactly does this work? Well, there's two primary ways in which the Bible expresses this reality. One is to say that you are in Christ, and the other is to say that Christ is in you. That's union with Christ. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. So first of all, you are in Christ. Now, it's sort of interesting that the term Christian only appears three times in the entire New Testament. The primary way in which Jesus referred to his followers was calling them what? Disciples. The primary way in which Paul referred to the followers of Jesus was by calling us people who are in Christ. So the term, the expression in Christ or in him or in the Lord appears 164 times in the letters of Paul alone. But what exactly does it mean to be in Christ? That still might sound a little abstract. Well, to be in Christ doesn't mean that you are inside Christ, like you might put tools inside a toolbox, but rather to be in Christ means that you are organically connected to Jesus in the same way that a branch is in the vine or that your head is organically connected to your body. And that's exactly the images that both Jesus and Paul used to describe this truth. In John 15, Jesus says famously, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, if you abide in me, if you stay put in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the point is that if you are in Christ, you will grow, you will bear fruit. Now, the Apostle Paul uses the image of the head and the body. He says this in the immediately preceding chapter, In verse 19 he says they've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow now on the one hand we might stumble on this analogy a little bit because I think ancient people had a different understanding of human physiology we don't really think of the body being dependent upon the head in order to grow and yet we still get the idea right? Your body would not grow if your body was severed from your head, right? So the the two need to be organically connected to one another. But if you are, if you're organically connected to Jesus, if you are in Christ, then you will grow. It's guaranteed. It's bound to happen. Why? Because you are connected to the life source. You're connected to the power source. So on the one hand, union with Christ means that you are in Christ. But the second thing is that Christ is is in you. And this is perhaps even more astounding. In the very beginning of Colossians chapter 1, Paul says that the whole reason why he has been commissioned by God to declare the gospel is because God has now revealed a secret that had been hidden for ages and generations. He he refers to this secret as a mystery. This mystery has been hidden for ages and generations, but now it has been disclosed to God's people. Now, when Paul uses that word mystery, he's not talking about a puzzle or a riddle that is inexplicable or unsolvable, like an unsolvable crime. But rather, when he uses the word mystery, he's talking about something that is unknown and undiscoverable until it is revealed. And so what is this mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations but now has been revealed? Well, Paul goes on to say it's this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory is what life is all about. This is the greatest mystery the world has ever known. Paul's saying that this is God's intention from before the beginning of the world. His goal was always to dwell within us to make his home within us, the very power of God, the transcendent, infinite God in us. Christ in you is the hope of glory. This is what life is all about. On the night before his death, Jesus sadly tells his disciples that he's only gonna be with them a little while longer and that where he is going, they cannot come. And they're confused and puzzled by this and It's not hard to see why. These are the ones who left everything to follow Jesus and now he's saying you can follow me this far but no farther. And so Jesus tries to encourage them and he he tells them what's actually to your benefit that I go away. But that must have sounded shocking and bizarre. What could possibly be to their advantage for Jesus to leave? Well, the only thing that would be better than having Jesus beside them would be to have Jesus within them. And that's precisely what Jesus promises. He says, I must go away, but it's to your advantage that I do because I'm going to ask the Father to send another helper to be with you forever. You know him because he has been with you, but now he will be in you. Now, what other helper could possibly be comparable to having Jesus? Well, only the Spirit of Jesus. And that is what Jesus is promising. He's saying that he will send his very own spirit. The very spirit of Jesus will not only be with us, but within us. So now we will have the very power of God at work, operative, in and within us. And that's why Jesus can promise that he'll never leave or forsake us, but that he will be with us always because he will be dwelling right inside of us. That's why Jesus can say that those who believe in him will do even greater works than he ever did in his earthly life i mean have you ever stopped and wondered about that verse what could jesus possibly mean how could we do more greater things than he did well when jesus lived this earth his presence was localized in a physical body which meant that his ministry powers were limited to one time and one place but you see if the spirit of jesus dwells in all those who trust in him by faith well then it means that he has distributed his ministry powers to billions of people around the globe, right? He's multiplied his ministry power exponentially. And that is why now he will do far more than he ever did during his earthly ministry because he's at work in and through us. But I want you to get a a handle on what Jesus is promising us here. He will be within us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Think about that. The Jesus who was crucified on the Roman cross that Jesus who is raised again to new bodily existence that Jesus who is now risen and reigning over all things makes his home within you by faith you are as united to Jesus as Jesus is to the father which is 100% that is the power that is now at your disposal does that not wow you does not does that not thrill you does that not excite you it should And if it doesn't, it shows how farther we have to go to grasp this reality and to make it our own. So what difference then does all of this make? If union with Christ means that you are in Christ and Christ is in you, why does it matter? Well, I spent this week reflecting on verse three when Paul says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. And I started wondering, turning over in my mind, what does it mean to be hidden with Christ in God? What does that word hidden mean? Well, on the one hand, if something is hidden, it means that you can't see it. And that certainly is a essential aspect of what Paul's trying to talk about here. He's saying that this is the great mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but which has now been disclosed, Christ in you. And therefore, this reality that we now have access to doesn't make sense to a lot of people if they don't share our faith, right? This truth is still hidden from their eyes. But part of the problem is this truth, this reality might remain hidden to us even if we are the beneficiaries of it. We we might have put our faith in Jesus and yet the reality of what he's accomplished for us and what we now have access to continues to remain hidden. We don't see it. We don't appreciate it. We don't act out of it. But there's a second way in which the word hidden is used, right? If something is hidden, it means that it is hidden away. And therefore, no one else can touch it. It's utterly safe, utterly secure. And that is the additional aspect of what Paul's trying to tell us here, that if you are in Christ, you are absolutely safe. You're hidden with Christ and God. So what does this mean then for us well what i would say is union with christ changes everything because it offers you a new identity a new energy and a new security see first of all union with christ means that you receive a new identity think of a human marriage when two people get married you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell that they are married rather than unmarried just by looking at them, just by their physical features, unless they're maybe wearing a wedding ring. And in a similar way, if you're united to Christ, it may not be obvious just by looking at you from the outside. And like a human relationship, when two people get married, that doesn't mean that you lose your individual identity. That wouldn't be possible nor desirable. And yet, the union between two people is so profound that the Bible says that those two become one flesh. And that is exactly what Paul is telling us about our union with Jesus. We don't lose our individual identity when we become united to Jesus, but we become one flesh with him, which means that we become even more than we were before. But we don't lose our own unique personality. Look, God knows you, he loves you, he made you. He knows what makes you unique and special. But he also knows that you will never become your truest self until you are united to him by faith. Why? Because he made you to be united to him. So whatever God affirms forms the real you. Whatever goes counter to God's purposes for you will only distort and misshape you. But the point is that you'll never become your full self, your truest self, until you are united to Jesus by faith. So in other words, to be a Christian means that you find your identity in Jesus. Now elsewhere, Paul talks about finding your identity in Jesus by using the expression, put on Christ. It's such a fascinating expression, put on Christ, almost like a a set of clothing, And when you clothe yourself in Christ, when you clothe yourself in Jesus, well, then he covers. He covers your sin, your guilt, your shame, and he covers them with his innocence, his righteousness, and his life. And that's what transforms your identity. A former pastor in Los Angeles used this analogy, which might be helpful. He tells the story of a woman who used to be Mickey Mouse she wore the Mickey Mouse costume at Disneyland. And the experience of being clothed in Mickey, of being clothed in Mickey's righteousness helped her understand what it means to be clothed in Christ, to put on Christ. Because she talks about how when she was growing up, she, she pegged her sense of self, her, her sense of identity on behavioral modification. So she felt like if I was a good person. If I did good things, then I was loved. But if I did something bad, well, then I was rejected. But then when she put on that Mickey Mouse costume and started walking around Disneyland, what happened to her? Well, regardless of what she did that day, regardless of how she might have been feeling in the moment, people rushed towards her. They rushed towards her with love, with joy, with eagerness, with excitement. And she realized, rightly, you know, In a way, this provides us with the picture of what it is like to be clothed in Christ. Because if you are clothed in Christ, when God looks at you, he sees you hidden with Christ. He loves you with the same love and to the same degree that he loves his one and only son. He treats you as if you had lived the life, the perfect life that Jesus lived. And you see, that began to help her transform her sense of self. But the difference here is that when we put on Christ, we're not wearing a mask, you know, we're not masquerading behind a, a false identity, right? This is not a temporary fiction based on a subjective experience, but rather this is a permanent truth based in an objective reality. That objective reality is that faith so unites us to Jesus that everything that is true of him becomes true of us. We are as united to Jesus as he is to the Father. So to be a Christian means finding your identity in Christ, and that is what we most need. And I would suggest that this is what we need, especially as modern people. As modern people, we tend to think that we have to be free to create our own identity in order to be our authentic selves. We have to create our own identity, regardless of whether it's based in reality or not. And on the one hand, that can be somewhat ennobling because no one's standing in the way, no one's restricting you, no one's forcing you to be something that you don't want to be. But on the other hand, there is a flip side to this. Creating your own identity can be paralyzing because there's so many options to choose from. Who should I be today? It can be exhausting because there's too much pressure to perform. And it can be depressing because there's too many unmet expectations. But you see, if you find your identity in Christ rather than creating an identity for yourself, then your identity is not fluctuating based on your ever-shifting preferences and choices and accomplishments and, and affiliations. You don't have to prove yourself anymore. You don't have to manage your reputation. You can rest. You can rest in Christ. You know who you are in him. That gives you security. That gives you confidence, absolute confidence to move out into the world in strength. So to be a Christian means that you find your identity in Jesus. You don't have to create an identity for yourself by trying to find yourself but rather you discover who you really are by being found in Christ. And that's the way Paul puts it in Philippians three. He was found in Christ, he didn't find himself. But this uh, union with Christ not only gives us a new identity, it also gives us new energy. We live out the Christian life, life not only, not through our own power, not on our own steam, but with the power, the energy that he instills within us. John Calvin put it like this. He said that union with Christ is the result of the secret energy of the Spirit. And I love the way that he puts that. We're we're not relying on our own strength, our own power. This union with Christ is fueled by the secret energy of the Spirit. You know, the major reason why we struggle to grow up, the reason why we are so spiritually stunted and immature is because we don't realize the power that we have at our disposal. We take it for granted. We don't tap into it. But think about it, the, the, the crucified, risen, reigning Jesus dwelling within you, you've got all the power in the world at your fingertips if you would just tap into it. And if you did, you would change, you would grow, your life would never be the same. So let me give you uh, another analogy. This one is definitely not very serious, but it comes from that same pastor in L.A. Uh, they must love their fictional characters in Hollywood. Because what I'd like us to do now is to compare two superheroes. But, you know, this carries resonance in my household because it seems like Marvel and DC superhero movies are on constant play in the living room. But what I'd like you to do is compare Batman with Spider-Man. Batman and Spider-Man. Okay, so what makes Batman a superhero? Well, he's strong, but he's also very, very rich as Bruce Wayne, which means that he's got great tech, He's got the Batmobile, he's got the Batplane, he's got a grappling gun. So his superhero status is based on his external possessions. That's what makes him a superhero. But what about Spider-Man? Well, Spider-Man has his, uh, his gadgets, his accessories. But his superhero status is not primarily based on his exterior possessions, but rather an internal change of nature. What happened to Spider-Man? He got bitten by a radioactive spider. That's what gave him his spider powers. The point is that the Christian life is a lot more like Spider-Man than Batman. It's not based on external possessions. It's about an internal change of nature. Something outside of us, something alien to us, comes in from outside and changes us from the inside out. The very power of God comes into our life and transforms us. Now, the analogy breaks down, of course, because Spider-Man becomes superhuman, something more than human. But the purpose of Jesus' power within us is that it makes us more truly fully human. Jesus is the true human being. He lived a perfect life. And so when Jesus comes into your life, he restores your humanity. He helps us become our true selves. So the way in which you grow as a Christian is not by relying more and more on yourself, your own power, but actually relying more and more on the Spirit, the power that He instills within us. We have access to the secret energy of the Spirit. Are you using it? Are you tapping into it? But then finally, union with Christ gives us a new security. We now have a secret source of strength. Remember I said if something is hidden it means you can't see it, but if something is hidden it means that no one else can touch it. So if your life is hidden with Christ in God, well then you have a source of strength that nothing in this world could ever touch or ever take away. There's a famous story told about John Chrysostom who was the archbishop of Constantinople around the year 400 AD and he ran into a conflict with the empress Eudoxia and according to the story, Eudoxia at first threatens to banish John Chrysostom from being the Archbishop of Constantinople. But he replies by saying, you cannot banish me, for this world is my father's house. Then she said, but I will kill you. And he replies, no, you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ in God. I'll take away your treasures. No, you can't, for my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. I'll drive you away from your friends and you'll have no one left. No, you can't, said John, for I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate separate me. I defy you, for there is nothing, there's nothing you can do to harm me. You see, if you are hidden with Christ in God, you have a secret source of strength that no one can ever steal or kill, or destroy. No one can touch it. No one can ever take it away from you. You are absolutely, utterly safe and secure. No one can ever harm you. So you see, union with Christ means that by faith, everything that is Jesus becomes ours. And that changes everything. It gives us a new identity, a new energy, a new security. Have you taken that first step? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Has that reality become your truth? But secondly, we may be Christians. We may have already put our faith and trust in him. This is our reality. We are united to Christ. The problem is that we are not laying hold of that truth. We're not taking it deep into our heart and into our lives. And that is why we're struggling to grow. And so we have to set our minds on things above. We have to set our mind on this truth so that this becomes the operating principle of our life. And this isn't easy. This, this past week, I've been reflecting personally on, well, what do I hide myself in other than Christ? You might think, oh, it's easier for me because I'm a pastor, I'm a minister of the gospel, but sorry, it's not. This is a, this is a challenge for all of us. And it's so easy for us to, to hide our life in something other than Jesus. So what are you hiding your life in? Where am I hiding? Where am I looking for ultimate sources of significance and security other than Jesus. Well, I'll tell you, it's so easy for me to try to hide myself in my performance, my accomplishments, or what other people think of me. You know, I try to win praise, avoid criticism, but none of those things are ultimately safe and secure. They'll let us down every time. And so for each of us, we have to think about, well, where am I hiding myself? My life is hidden with Christ and God, and that tells me who I am, that gives me the power to live my life, and that provides me with ultimate security that nothing in this world can ever touch. Jesus is not asking you to try to become something that you're not. No, he's telling you to be who you already are. By faith, Jesus has already given you everything that is his. They're now at your fingertips, at your disposal. Tap into that resource, and you will change. You will grow. Let me pray for us. Father, we acknowledge that union with Christ may be simple to express, but it is profound in its implications. But because it is a little bit abstract and hard to get our minds wrapped around, it may be the one idea that we are most likely to take for granted. But we pray that that would no longer be the case, that you would so impress upon our hearts and minds the importance of this truth, that we would lay hold of this reality, that it would utterly change us from the inside out. Help us to receive and to live out the new identity, the new energy, and the new security that we have found in and only through Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.